I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pittsburgh Steel fans, welcome to this week's episode of Steel's War Room. I'm your host of this week's show, Matt Heverell, the show that looks to put you in the minds of Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, Omar Khan, and in fact, the rest of the Steelers organization, particularly the coaches, as we look at everything from, you know, free agents coming in to draft picks, whether that's prospects, the picks that, uh, that are made, their adjustment, you know, to the Steelers roster. And then, of course, the other free agents that, that are available, we've taken you through right through that process of free agency draft, OTAs. We've now got through minicamp, and now we're in that, what Jeff Hartman, like the you know senior editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and our BTSC podcast and YouTube shows, likes to call the dog days of summer. Well, there's no dog days of summer when it comes to BTSC and our content, whether it's, you know, the, you know, afternoon evening shows, whether it's the morning shows as well. So the morning shows, you've got Jeff Hartman Monday, Wednesday, Friday through Let's Ride. You've got Michael Beck on a Tuesday. You've got Dave Schofield on a Thursday. You get me um, as part of this war room at lunchtime on a Wednesday or in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Uh, you get Fact or Fiction with with Brian Anthony Davis or Bad um, you know, over the weekend. And then, of course, the YouTube shows, which is everything from, you know, Tales from 2 a.m., the, the Steelers Hangover, the Curtain Call, the Preview, uh, Six Pack with Tony, and then, of course, uh, Steelers Touchdown Under with myself and Mark Davison. So that's a, that's a plethora of content. I think it's 15 individual shows, um, not including the part twos for a lot of the one-hour YouTube shows. So, look... In today's show, um, for this week's Steelers War Room, 
again, I'm going to move it to do something a bit different. I'm trying to keep the variety through this. So even though I try and keep quite a series of a lot of our content, I still try and vary it up as well. Now, last week's show, I didn't get to cover some of the research that I'd done um, from over the cap around restructuring NFL contracts. So we're going to get through that in today's show, and then I'm going to look a little bit at some advanced defense, um, some things to think about, actually, which were pretty telling last year uh, that I wanted to sort of go through in, in terms of the defense, particularly around playing the pass, not so much the pass rush, but how the Steelers went defending the pass. But look... Conscious of talk for you for a couple of minutes now. So let's crack into this piece around contracts. So a couple of weeks ago now, so almost about two weeks ago, about time this goes live to air. And as everyone knows, I record live in the future by about 14 hours. Um, you know, and actually in this, I'll be quite honest, this podcast, I'm actually recording on my Tuesday night, uh, not even my Wednesday night. I've got to have some surgery on my Wednesday. So it means I'm not going to be able to, I'm having it in my mouth. So I'm not going to be able to, uh, to, to be able to talk uh, on Wednesday when I usually record this podcast. I'm coming to you a little bit early. So that's why we're not focusing around any breaking news, what have you. But anyway, regardless, this content's a couple of weeks old now, but for most people, they won't have seen it. And it, what I'm going to deliver for you now is very much based on an article written by Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Now, he basically took a really interesting piece around restructuring NFL contracts and went through and looked at the value of what this means. And I think it's pretty interesting when we think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, over the next couple of years and restructuring contracts, particularly given how much money uh, the Steelers are going to have available. Now, I know that we've obviously got to consider, you know, there are players like Stefan Tewitt that are on the old 16-game schedule and how are they paid and restructures there. But just as we go through this year um, and we look at potential restructures that could happen once some cuts are made, and, and there, we, there will be, and I alluded to it on Steelers Touch and Under this week, there will be a number of prominent NFL players that are cut from their teams, both for salary cap issues with the cap being the 182.5 million or, you know, the fact that they're going to be taking a lot of room um, and it doesn't allow teams to make do extensions or, you know, different bonuses, or they're going to be, you know, if they're on got multi years left on their deal, you know, they're going to be more costly. Even with the cap going up, there's, they might have other impending free agents they want to sign or people on franchise tags or people on fifth year rookie, rookie deals. Like for us, um, you know, obviously we've got TJ Watt in the, in his fifth year option this year. So let's crack into it. So looking at restructuring NFL contracts. So basically, when the Titans' recent trade for Julio, Julio Jones went through, whether it's the Saints' ability to drive and sign a draft class, whether it's the Bears potentially signing a new right tackle, the, the whole takes around the cap is actually fake have been pretty prominent. Now, the basis of this, the cape is fact, the, the cap is fake talk. Sorry, I mean some of my words there is that technically you can kind of make a lot of moves to sign anyone you want. So, yes, in, tr in truth, this is accurate. Uh, moving one money from one year to the next is pretty simple, and we know that. We know that, you know, you need to think about the cap in a three- or four-year proposition with, with money that can be deferred and the way that the, the cap is structured. But when it comes to restructuring contracts, Jason brings up this question, though, does it actually work to move contracts and this is the question that he really sought to explore in, the, in this article he basically explains there are a few ways to manufacture cap rooms such as void years on free agent signing or extension which we've seen at the, with the Pittsburgh Steelers but what he wanted to look at specifically 
and strictly was restructures. So let's just recap. Restructures are where you take an existing contract and convert the salary to a prorated bonus. This is what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill, for example, to make room for Julio Jones. Now, we know that players like Cam Hay would have done this. We know that, you know, there are players in the past have done this, like an Eric Ebron. Um, you know, we've seen this from the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've seen this with Ben to a degree. So basically, he went back and looked at how much Teams for approximately spent on restructures, including option bonuses, because he asserted that they're basically a contracted restructure since 2013 and grouped teams into buckets based on the amount of money restructured in a given season. To account for inflation in the cap in every in the cap, every year's number was adjusted to reflect the 182 million cap issue. So obviously the cap was higher last year at 198, um, over 198 million. But if you go back to 2013, the cap was, you know, at a much lower rate. In fact, I think even in the 2013 season, it was more around 150 ish. It might have been less million mark. Um, so how many teams really restructure contracts? So about 55% of all teams at least do a minor contract restructure, while 45% of teams will stand, you know, pretty much at what they're what the contracts look at. And however, only 37% of all teams do what he considered a major cap manipulation of more than 6.5 million in restructures in a given year. And about 20% of the teams do more massive restructures at a level of $15 million or more. Now that's, that's pretty significant because you're talking about a $10 million gap there. Um, as I say, that, that's, that's quite substantial when you're looking at those differentiators. So that kind of begs the question, who, what sort of teams are most likely to restructure? So basically, Jason broke all the teams down by their record the prior year to, the group, to, to group the teams by how much they restructured their contracts. So teams with 10, 10 wins, 37.5% didn't restructure any money at all. 19.3% restructured $6.5 million. 21.6% restructured $15 million. And another 21.6% restructured up to $100 million worth of contracts. Teams with 8 to 10 wins, 40.8% restructured no money. Uh, 16.3% restructured $6.5 million. 20.4% 20.4% restructured $15 million and 22.4% restructured upwards to $100 million. Teams with five to eight wins, 47.5% did not restructure any money. 20% restructured $6.5 million, 13.8% restructured $15 million, and 18.8% restructured upwards of a, to $100 million. Teams with zero to five wins, restructured 60% of those restructured no money. restructured $6.5 million, 15.4% restructured um, $6.5 million. Sorry, so it was 15.4, 6.5, and 15.4 with 15 million. And then only 10.3% of those zero and five win teams, zero to five win teams restructured upwards to 100 million. What you see here is successful teams were clearly the ones that cling most to the restructure concept. Now, that makes sense because you'd really you've got guys on quite high contracts. You've got guys that are backloaded. You're trying to basically, you're in that win now mode. About 60% of all teams that finished the prior year, at least eight and eight, at least eight and eight restructured contracts. That number drops to around 50% for teams between five and eight wins and 40% for the real seller dwellers. If you look at the high level of restructures, 42% of teams with over eight wins are restructuring more than six and a half million compared to 25 and 32% for the under eight win teams. 
ultimately, 60% of big restructures come from teams over over a record of 500, while the other categories provide a more even split. Interestingly, the bad teams that are restructuring high levels of salary are forced to do so due to the cap problems they created for themselves in the first place. That, that probably makes sense for most, for most fans, yeah, or even across the NFL. So after all those restructures, does it actually work? So obviously the goal of a restructure, as Jason points out, is to maximize wins for the franchise. So let's see how that went in terms of the record for those different teams. So 10 plus wins in a restructure year, 30.7% for people that restructured zero dollars, $40.4% for teams that for teams that restructured six and a half million dollars, 41.3% for teams that restructured $15 million, and 30.6% for teams that restructured $110 million. The percentage improvement for people. And this is where it's really interesting. And you sort of see what was proven in the numbers I took you through before. But the percentage improvement for teams that had 10 wins that restructured $0 was a 40.4% improvement. For the teams that restructured $6.5 million, there was a 53.2% improvement. For teams that restructured $15 million, there was a 54.3% improvement. And for teams that restructured up to $110 million, there was a 32.7% improvement. Back-to-back 10-win seasons, if you look at the next year, teams that restructured $0, 54.5%. Teams that restructured $6.5 million, 64.7%. Teams that restructured $15 million, uh, 52.6%, and teams that restructured $110 million or upwards to 31.6%. Now, this is really interesting because it matches a dead money study, which I invite you to go back and have a look at it over the cap, which he did a few a few weeks or a few months ago, where his takeaway was that there's a really bad level of dead money, but there, some dead money is good. Uh, and that's really interesting, again, with the Pittsburgh Steelers because we have about $18 million in dead money you know, for a couple of players that are actually back on the roster in Antoine Brooks and, and Vince Williams, and they account for about, about $3.2 million worth of that. Obviously, you've got Pouncey retiring. We cut Nelson. McDonald retired. Wisniewski's gone. And that pretty much sums up your, your $18 million there. Basically, when going back to what Jason basically found is why is some dead money good? Because dead money means that you took some chances to maximize the value of a team's roster. The problem is when a team's gets excessive. Of the teams that restructured up to $15 million, about 53%, as we talked about, improved year over year. 40% of those teams finished with at least 10 wins in the year they restructured. Compare that with no restructure. 40% improved, 31% made 10 wins, and a massive restructure, just 33% improved and 31% at 10 wins. The other thing is that looking at the teams and how they finished with 10 wins in the prior year, those who had to move a ton of money to try to repeat only saw a 32% return to 10 wins. The other categories are all over 50%. So to answer his original question, he concluded that restructuring to a limited extent may work in the short term and that that doesn't seem to be bad. However, the excessive use of the restructure is likely going to leave teams disappointed in the outcome. Now, that's taken up almost all part one of this week's show. The second part he talked about was what about the long-term ramifications? 
And I'm going to save that for next week because I want to have a bit of a continuation with this. And then we might even go back and look at their dead money because I think it is interesting when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and because we did get better and because we did need money to make moves, yet we've still been able to bring guys back in, you know, Antoine Brooks, um, you know, and definitely Vince Williams there where we've saved money, but we've kept the player. So we've technically got the output we would have had in a year when we probably would have kept him if, if the cap hadn't have gone down. So really interested to talk about long-term ramifications for this because the stills are in this boat. And what I will do is I will go back and look at some of the restructured money that we've done from this year so we can really think about that. And I'll go through that, um, you know, before we talk about those long-term ramifications. But with that, we're going to take our halftime break here on Steel's War Room for, for this week. Join me for part two. As I said, we're going to look at some playing the pass defense from the Steelers in 2020 because I think there's some things to think about as we head into 2021. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pittsburgh Steel fans, welcome back to this week's episode of Steel's War Room. I'm Matt Beverly, your host of this weekly show. As I, as I always like to say, the show that like really thinks about what the Steels are doing with their roster. And it's kind of a pretty cool show in that we've got a bit of a Minka Fitzpatrick vibe to the show. I can do sort of free, you know, freelance if you like, or you know, um, you know, go rogue a little bit and look at all different things, whether it's stats, financials, players, draft picks, whatever. I kind of like this free roaming ability, um, you know, there, but it's right in the middle of the week. So it's a bit like a middle, an inside linebacker or middle, you know, middle linebacker. So yeah, it's been an interesting vibe that we've got, to, you know, for this show here. But look, I said, I wanted to talk about playing the pass. And the thing that we often talk about is pass rush and what have you. But I want to talk about like the the advanced defense, um, you know, and I pull a lot of these stats from pro football reference. So like often when you can talk about pass defense, you can talk about like completion percentage, maybe the yards they allowed, how many TDs they allowed, which, and we're going to cover some of this off. Maybe you might talk about the quarterback rating. You're probably going to talk about interceptions. That's going to be pretty key. And that's kind of, it's kind of about it really. But there are lots of other things you can talk about, which is you know, sort of completion, yards per completion, it can be yards per target. It can be um, the, the quarterback passer rating, which I mentioned just before. It can be the average depth of target, which we'll address in another show, um, in a future show. Total air yards on completion, yak. Um, you know, you can cover all those different things as well. Things, even tackles in the passing game and what have you. So let's recap on 2020. So in, in 2020, no Pittsburgh Steeler 
was able to get more than five interceptions. Minka had four, Mike Hilton had three, Nelson, Hayden, and Terrell Edmonds all had two each. Sutton had one and Robert Spillane had one. So did Highsmith, so did TJ Watt, and so did Cam Haywood. And Cam Haywood had his the Cam Haywoods is cool because Cam Haywoods was actually the first of his career in that New York Giants game. So let's let's sort of crack into it a little bit now. What I wanted to sort of cover off with this is basically to give you an understanding of like some surprises that there are in terms of this Pittsburgh Steeler team, you know, and how they play actually play the pass. Because there are, when you go through these stats, it becomes pretty apparent the people that stood out and the people that like from a positive perspective and the people that really stand out from a negative perspective as well. So when we look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, in terms of targets, the top player, the top sort of players targeted were Stephen Nelson with 98 targets, Joe Hayden with 79, Cameron Sutton with 56, Mike Hilton at number four with 45, Terrell Edmonds was targeted 45 times as well as equal fourth, Vince Williams 35 times, Robert Spillane 30, Minka 26. Now, Minka, you can just tell, like, they're targeting a third or a quarter of the time that you'd expect them to purely because people know Minka's prowess as well and and what he can actually do at the position. Um, You know, and we saw that in 2019 when... You know, a lot of the a lot of the teams that the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing would actively avoid passing, you know, in his direction. In terms of completions, Stephen Nelson allowed the most completions um, with fifty-seven out of his ninety-eight. There, so difference. So really, it was only forty-one percent. There were forty-one of those targets that he wasn't able to that he was able to sort of really stop, you know, stop a completion. And we had him locked down. I mean, I wrote an article about how he could be one of the best lockdown corners in twenty twenty, and he really wasn't. Uh, Joe Hayden, uh, he was targeted seventy-nine times. He allowed forty completions. Cameron Sutton was targeted fifty-six. He allowed thirty-four completions. Mike Hilton. At 45 targets, he allowed 29. Terrell Edmonds with 45 tar- at 45 pass targets at him, he allowed 25. And Vince Williams allowed 22 from 35. Robert Spillane allowed 16 from 30. Minka, 13 from 26. Devin Bush, 14 from 22. But Devin Bush is hard because he didn't really play more than five games. Avery Williamson allowed 16 from 21. Justin Lane allowed 10 from 12 targets. Marcus Allen allowed 8 from 10. And then in terms of going from there, Alex Highsmith allowed 5 from 9 targets and TJ Wood allowed 3 from 6 targets. Really below 5 targets, we're not going to cover off. And the only reason I'm going to dip below 10 is that there are linebackers that are included here and outside linebackers at that rate as well. So... That's kind of pretty interesting. From a from a percentage number, though, and this is where it's quite interesting. And again, I'm only going to look at five targets, five targets or more. Uh, so from those five targets, Justin Lane had the highest percentage there, with that 10, allowing ten completions from twelve at eighty three percent. Marcus Allen, you know, allowed eight at eighty percent. There are tough 10 completions. And we anyone that's listened to the last two, two Steelers touchdown unders note, whether it's on the podcast side or live when we go on YouTube, knows I'm not a fan of Marcus Allen. I don't think he should be on the roster this year. Avery Williamson allowed 76.2%. Now, 
he traditionally was more in that run stopper inside linebacker role, but the last couple of years, the Jets, before he came to the Steelers, had put him into that pass coverage. And I think he struggled to adjust to the Steelers' defense. I still wouldn't be surprised to see the Steelers bring him back if, if, if the money allows it. But I think clearly there, you, you, you can understand why they might not be bringing him back. Mike Hilton, then he allowed the most um, at 64%. Devin Bush at 63%, Vince Williams at 62%, Cameron Sutton 60%, Stephen Nelson 58%. But the guys that did really well were Terrell, Terrell Edmonds, only allowing 55.6%. And that's the sort of number that you could sort of see him with 45 targets at him, really, you know, and that was like getting close to double Minka, the amount of targets Minka had at him. You know, you couldn't act. This is the sort of number that you can go, okay, but Spook Seals, let's invest in him, even if we didn't pick up his fifth year option. Alex Highsmith, we know he had that interception. He allowed 55.6% as well, just on a much one fifth of the margin of Terrell Edmonds across targets and completions. Robert Spillane, he allowed 53.3%. Now that's pretty terrific from his perspective given, you know, he came in there to replace Bush, who's incredibly good at coverage and probably was targeted a little bit. Joe Hayden allowed only 50.6%, which is incredible given he was the, he had the second most targets at 79, um, at 79 there. And then Minka uh, had 50% and so did TJ Watt there. So that that's pretty terrific. And you think about TJ as well, you know, People know that he's had some interceptions early in his career. Um, you know, and Alex Highsmith obviously got that one. And people are more likely to target around Alex Highsmith, given his limited coverage experience in college. And it was cool to hear Sam talking, his dad talk about that with Scobros as well, and the adjustment that's got to be made. I can see them doing the same thing with Quincy Roche. But the thing about Quincy Roche is we know he wasn't asked to do a lot of pass coverage in college. I think he played like one snap um, where he's in coverage. That doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means that he's got to practice it, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers training and training camp and what have you. And the Steelers will do that. The Steelers know how to coach these inside and outside linebackers up. So the thing that I thought would be interesting, we can look at the yards, but the yards don't really tell the best story. Like, obviously, Stephen Nelson lets in 732 yards through the pass you sort of go, well, he had 98 targets. It makes sense. Joe Hayden comes second with 559 there. That makes sense because he had the second most targets. Cameron Sutton, you know, he had the third most targets and he led in the third most amount of yards. And so on, I can go Mike Hilton and he was fourth and we know that. And so was Terrell Edmonds. You know, they were tied and they both led in the fourth and fifth most yards. So there's quite a correlation there between completion percentage and yards. However, it's yards per completion that gets pretty interesting. And again, I'm not going to focus on guys like Awalalu, who was targeted twice, and there was 43 yards on that. I'm going to focus on guys that had that five or more targets, given that we can then bring in the outside linebackers. So this is where it's pretty interesting. Minka Fitzpatrick, Minka, had the most yards per completion out of all the players that had 10 or more or had five or more targets, you know, thrown their way. That was at 17.2 yards per, per completion. Next, that was followed up by Terrell Edmonds, also in the safe, one of those safety positions with 14 and a half. 
then Joe Hayden with 14. And we know Joe Hayden likes to jump and make plays. So, I mean, Joe Hayden's with the amount of interceptions he generally gets and what he can do and pass deflections and what have you, that's, that's where it's pretty interesting from his perspective. If you then look at uh, Stephen Nelson follows him with 12.8. Justin Lane follows him with 12.7. Alex Highsmith with 11.4. Cameron Sutton with 11.3. Devin Bush with 10.8. Now, given where Devin Bush plays, that that's, should be about where it is. And if you can lower that down into the early nines or the late eights, that'd be even better. Uh, Mike Hilton was 9.2. Everyone's 9.1. Both guys aren't on the roster at the moment. Um, definitely not Mike Hilton. He's signed with the Bengals, as we know. Robert Spillane, 8.4. Marcus Allen, 8. Uh, and again, he was playing more of a, a thing with that dimebacker role, playing, you know, in the, in the inside linebacker position as well in some games. Vince Williams, 6.6. And I think that's pretty cool from Vince because a lot of people give Vince a lot of trouble in terms of what he does in coverage. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, and then TJ Watt, only five yards. So TJ Watt, obviously doing pretty well there. But, you know, if you're throwing the ball near the outside linebacker, you're throwing it pretty short. It's just one interesting thing to keep in mind. That's yards per completion. Let's move across to touchdowns allowed. In terms of touchdowns allowed, Nelson allowed the most again. Now, again, you go, Matt, well, hang on. He had 98 targets. You know, he allowed almost 58.2% completion and the most amount of yards. That's right. But he allowed a touchdown for almost per 100 yards that he had thrown. He also was more than double Joe Hayden, who had only allowed three touchdowns off 79 targets. So there's less than 20, 20 difference there in terms of targets. Joe Hayden allowed a lot smaller percentage and he allowed less like less than half the the number of touchdowns that Steven Nelson allowed. That's pretty interesting. Minka allowed two, two touchdowns there, which I think given where Minka's targeted, if you make that mistake in the in the in from a schematic perspective, people will take it to the house equally. You know, when you look at, I think it was more the game against Cleveland. Um, you know, in the in the finals. But, you know, I think there was a big mistake from him on one of those games. There was another late game where he made a bad read too. And that's interesting about Minka because when I was listening to the draft dudes um, from the draft network a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys is a Miami Dolphins fan and he hates on Minka purely, like he left him out of his, you know, building the ultimate NFL team purely because of he left the Dolphins. But the one thing he did say in fairness was that, you know, and he does actually rate Minka Fitzpatrick. You can tell by how much he goes on about how much he hates him. But the one thing he does sort of talk about is Minka's sometimes has quite quite a few missed tackles. And Minka had a 12.2 missed tackle rate um, percentage, you know, in 2020 and with 11 missed tackles. So it is something to, it is just something to be aware of with Minka that he can sometimes find himself in a bit of an interesting position. Avery Williamson, Vince Williams all allowed two touchdowns each. And that's kind of the top sort of um, five there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's pretty interesting from the touchdown perspective. Now, the final stat that I really wanted to look at this week was the quarterback rating that was that was allowed. <clears throat> now, Justin Lane almost allowed a perfect quarterback rating or getting close to, I think perfect's about 153.6 or something, but he allowed 138. 0.5 as a quarterback rating. Now, we know he allowed 10 targets, so he qualifies for the guys we're looking at. Then it was Avery Williamson, who allowed a quarterback rating of 126.3, and he uh, off his 21 targets or 16 completions that he allowed. Then it was Devin Bush at 98.9 um, with the 14 completions he allowed um, on 22 targets. 
Stephen Nelson, then at 97, uh, off the, the 98 targets that the quarterback rating 97 off the 98 targets that, you know, he was faced with in the 57% completions. Then you've got Marcus Allen there at 93.3%. Then you've got Vince Williams at 90.9%. Or all the rating, not really percentage. Uh, and then you sort of go down to Cameron Sutton with 79.8, James Pierre, 79.2, but James Pierre was actually at one target. I just thought, thought I'd throw him in there purely because there's been a lot of talk about James Pierre as of late. Joe Hayden, 75.9. Now, that's incredible. That's very lockdown. And that's when people call, talk about Joe Hayden being that wily veteran in that lockdown corner at age 31 or going into 32 this season. That sort of shows it there. Terrell Edmonds, 70.8. And that sort of shows like all those snaps that Edmonds had in his first couple of years when he was playing across the different safety roles. They're starting to show up. They're starting to show up. Minka, 65.7, which you'd expect. Hilton, 60.2, but obviously he's no longer on the roster. Watt, 56.2. Spillane, 51.4. And this is why having a guy like Robert Spillane on a cheap exclusive rights free agent contract is so beneficial for the Pittsburgh Steelers in depth at the inside linebacker position. And then it was Alex Highsmith. Believe it or not, Alex Highsmith, for players that faced over five or more targets, had the best quarterback rating at 35.2. Now, that's obviously helped by his interception massively. It's helped by his yards per completion being a lot lower than a lot of the other guys. You know, and equally, it's it's very much around the fact a lot of the yards that he faced, you know, came through the air, uh, you know. So that's pretty interesting. But I just thought I'd show it up because you get this, you should get the understanding that our outside linebackers and our linebackers, no matter how they're being targeted or if they're trying to be exposed, actually do pretty well against the pass. They actually do pretty well against the pass for the rating in terms of what that looks like. But at the same time, a Marcus Allen, you know, allowing 93.3, a Steven Nelson allowing 97, 97 when he, a quarterback rating when he had 98 targets thrown his way. Lane, 138.5. This is why one of those guys is not on the roster. And this is why the other guy really shouldn't be on the roster. And it's going to, and, you know, the Steelers brought in a number of undrafted rookie free agents. They brought in a guy like Trey Norwood and, and draft pick number seven. These are sorts of numbers that tell you why. You know, bring in a guy like Buddy Johnson, who's going to do more to stop the run, but allows Bush to do more, you know, in, in pass coverage. That's going to help when you put John, like an Avery Williamson. That's why you don't bring him back at 126.3 when he faced 21 targets, you know, and you and with how much sub package the Steelers play. It makes sense with Bush. It makes sense with Vince Williams. And this is the thing with Vince Williams as well. Like Vince Williams technically did better of similar numbers you know, than Bush. He got he got up there and, you know, he wasn't only about 11 points in a quarterback rating, which is literally can be a couple of different, couple of misses or it can be like one interception from Cam Sutton. Uh, you know, and this is from a guy that's not meant to be very good in pass coverage. Vince can make these plays, you know, to a degree. So I just wanted to have a look at some of those advanced pass defense stats because, you know, and you can go in and look at depth um, when uh, depth per target, you know, when targeted as a defender, whether it was completed. You can look at air guardage. You can look at yak, and yak is pretty interesting to look at. I can tell you right now that Stephen Nelson allowed the most with 318 yards, Cameron Sutton with 163, Mike Hilton with 138, Joe Hayden with 114, 
Terrell Edmonds with 114. And with those guys, you can see all the lockdown stuff again from Hayden. You can see Edmonds doing a, doing a lot in terms of coverage there. Minka only allowed 90 yards, you know, off 26 targets. You know, if we go right down the list, you know, you, you Robert Spillane only 74 yards, Vince William only 65 Devin Bush allowed 56, which is quite a bit, but he's targeted in a different way than, than Vince and Robin Spillane But the way that you can sort of see that there is these guys, like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a defense where everyone plays a role. We talk about the role of different sacks. We talk about how many people contribute there. And you can literally go down the list and, you know, over 12 players, almost 15 players contributed in sacks last year. More players, you know, contribute in terms of quarterback pressures. There's almost 20 people on that list. You know, the the tackles, even more, almost everyone on defense, if not everyone's making a tackle as well. So the thing is, we talk about Steelers' great defense. We talk about some potential rookies coming into this, this cornerback room. Pass defense is not just about the pass rush you know, and the hurries and the quarterback knockdowns, the the sacks, the pressures, the quarterback hits. It's about how you play the pass. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, particularly guys across that linebacking core and guys in the, in the two safety roles in, you know, Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick did a lot better last year than what a lot of people realize. You can see why they haven't kept some guys like Williamson and Nelson, and they probably won't keep Lane. And then the only, the only stay of execution for him will be, you know, that he's on his rookie contract. So there's some things to consider as we go into training camp into the season. But look, that wraps up a bumper show for this week. I'm Matt Peveril. Thank you very much for listening. As always, go Steelers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.